Wonderful. Take your Bible, if you wouldn't, turn with me to Job chapter 19. Job chapter 19 in the Word of God. Job chapter 19, I want to say thank the Lord for the good, good day and the good music. All day it's been so beautiful and uh, sweet and I've enjoyed this violin playing tonight. That's fantastic. I, I, wasn't, I figured out the four requirements to become a member of, um, of Canaan Baptist Church. Number one, you got to be saved, baptized. You have to have a last name with Baker and you have to play the violin. So that's good. I'm glad that's, that's good for that. I, if you're not a Baker, then you all can get your cha- name changed down at the local courthouse, I'm sure, and uh, we'll let you right in. But it's been great. What a, what a great blessing to hear that and to see that investment. I'll tell you, any investment you can make in playing an instrument or singing is a good investment. Any investment that you can make, any investment you can make in, in getting up in front of people and public speaking, testifying uh, for the Lord, that's a good investment. And uh, it takes a little, you have to swallow your pride or spit it out. I like the second one better. And uh, you have to, uh, you have to get, get real honest because it shows you how little you know and how much you need to learn. And uh, yet it's such a good investment and it's going to pay long-term dividends. Uh, you know, you can play hoops and play basketball with the best of them. And I, I love soccer right now. The World Cup is going on and I just enjoy that sport. Uh, but, you know, every couple of years in the last 15 years or so, we've taken a team overseas with a group of guys and we play soccer and we use it as a tool to get the gospel out. And I'm for that. But, you know, I know there'll come a day when I can't play. But I can sing and I can play the accordion and I can play the piano and I can play an instrument for the Lord. And you can always do that. So, parents, if your kids are fussing at you about practice and not wanting to practice and you're wanting to give up, you just tell them they better go back into the practice room and pick up their instrument or there's going to be real trouble. And they better get it their act together and don't you give up. Parents, don't you give up because your kids want to give up. You should have more character than that and stronger character than they have. And uh, you make them do it. I remember fussing and fighting about my piano and arguing with my mom about I didn't want to play. And she sat me down on that bench and said, you, and she's a small lady. She didn't give up any, any slack though. You sit down and you're going to play. And that's the way it is. And I thank the Lord for that because all of that is too, that's paying off now. I can play the piano, sing and play. If I wasn't able to play the piano, I wouldn't be able to play the accordion. And so what a great opportunity this is. I want to encourage you to continue on. Keep on the good work with that and, and uh, continue on uh, playing and practicing. And it will play good dividends. You know, it, I appreciate the vision of a pastor that says this is what we need. This is where we're going. Now it's going to take baby steps to get there and just never give up on that vision. That's very important. I hope you'll just keep following his lead. And uh, what a great blessing it's been to be here. I'm thankful, thankful, thankful for your pastor and his wife and their friendship and this church and the people of this church and the friendship here. And I thank the Lord for a bright shining light here in Covington, Georgia. And uh, I hope that you'll keep shining it brightly. This is a day to shine brightly. And it really doesn't take too much to shine because there's a whole lot of darkness around. You just keep shining and keep standing and keep preaching and keep witnessing. Keep praying and keep your heart close to the Lord and hot for Jesus. And especially during this Christmas season. I want to mention before we get right into the text, uh, uh, an opportunity uh, that has come up this year, this last year. I haven't really talked to your pastor about it. But it is a great opportunity of of getting the gospel out. So a couple pastors up in Michigan this last year 
got burdened about getting the gospel out. And everybody's in basically post-COVID build back and we're trying to avoid any other crisis that the liberals and the leftists want to throw at us. But uh, we're trying to get the gospel out. And so these two preachers got a burden for it and they said, let's have a little friendly competition between our churches trying to get the gospel out. And so one was in Upper Peninsula, Brother Rader, and one was in Lower Peninsula, and, uh, and Brother Stanfield. And they said, let's, let's try to get the gospel out, Brother Chatfield. So they did. And uh, they said, boy, you know, that was so good. This happened last November. Let's, let's try to get all of Michigan and Bible preaching churches in Michigan to get the gospel out. So they went after it, and they got a bunch of churches in Michigan. They called it Fill Michigan. And then they said, you know, that was so good. Let's try to fill America. So it's based on the verse in Acts that says they filled Jerusalem with their doctrine. And it's a gospel track challenge to give out the gospel. And so... Uh, there was an effort right before Easter and then an effort in May and then in June, July and then September around 9-11. And, and right now, let yesterday all the way through Christmas, there is a two-week effort to give out the gospel and give out gospel tracts. Now, some of you have never given out a gospel tract. Now's the time to start. This is the easiest time in the world to give out gospel tracts. All you have to do is give a tract and say, and smile and say, happy or Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, uh, Happy Holidays. Just say something nice and friendly. A lot of times that opens up the door and give the gospel out. And do you know, since that effort started last November, 929,000 gospel tracts have gotten out. That's a good place to say amen right there. Yeah, praise the Lord for that. Nine, almost a million gospel tracts have gone out just because of an effort of two preachers that got started. And we have a team of evangelists of about 39 different evangelists and a team of churches in every state. And my, I hope you'll get involved. If you're interested, you can talk to me or talk to your pastor. I'll be sure and pass along the information. But you know, this is a great time to get the gospel. The message that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. And uh, get it out to this lost world. That's what they need the most. And that's the only thing that is going to change the heart of people and change the heart of individuals and then eventually change a community for the good and glory of Jesus Christ. Fill America. Fill America is what it's called. Fillamerica.org. You can go on there and look at information if you want. But I hope you'll pray for that because we're not intending to stop. We're intending to keep our head to the grind, nose to the grindstone and our head down and our foot pest pressed on the pedal with everything that we've got for the glory of the Lord. I, I want to preach to you tonight from the book of James. Would you turn there, the book of James? And I'm not going to take a ton of time, but I want to spend a few minutes in the book of James. And let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time in his word. Father, thank you for the privilege that you've given to us to open up the Bible. Fill me with your spirit as I preach and help me to preach with all my heart. I pray that everyone here would be blessed and strengthened and helped as a result of our time in your word. Lord, if there's anyone tonight who is in this place who's not saved, I pray that you'd save them. Help them to understand the gospel. Help them to understand their desperate situation without Christ. Help them to understand their destiny, where they're headed, and, and where they're going to spend eternity unless they accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. Lord, we'll thank you and be careful to give you all the glory and honor and power and praise in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You know, we live in a world of great uncertainty, don't we? Sometimes when we wake up in the morning and we turn the news on, we say, where, where am I living? Is this still a, 
a real life world that I'm living in? Or have I fallen into Alice in Wonderland's rabbit hole? Where am I living? It's a mixed up, confused, down is up and up is down and in is out and out is in and right is wrong and wrong is right world. And it's just very confused. And the Bible says that God's not the author of confusion, but the world that we live in is very uncertain. It's very uncertain politically. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow politically. And I'm sure that there could be some crazy surprise that comes in December. Uh, We don't know what's going to happen economically. It seems like everything is uncertain economically. Uh, We're not sure what's going to happen. We're not sure what's going to happen religiously as far as the overall scene here on this earth. But it's a very uncertain world. We don't know what's going to happen as far as technology goes. It's very uncertain. Everything seems to be changing at a breakneck speed. But I want to tell you that in a world of uncertainty, you can be absolutely certain of the truth of the word of God. You can be absolutely certain that God is still on the throne. You can be absolutely certain that Jesus Christ saves. You can know that your sins are forgiven and that you're on your way to heaven. Billy Sunday, the great preacher of a century ago, said you can be dogmatic when you're a Christian. And he'd pound the pulpit and he'd say, this is a pulpit. He'd stomp the platform and he'd say, this is a platform. He'd take a chair and slam it down on the platform and say, this is a chair. He said, don't let anybody tell you you can't be dogmatic and absolute about the truth of the word of God. And so tonight, for a few moments, I want to preach to you a message that I've entitled, I know that I know that I know that I'm on my way to heaven and you can too. I know that I know that I know that I'm on my way to heaven and you can too. Now turn back to Job and let's start there tonight and let's see what God has to say about this matter of knowing with absolute certainty that our sins are forgiven and that our home is heaven. Some years ago, I was witnessing to a man in the parking lot of a grocery store. And while I was witnessing to him, I gave him a gospel tract and I said, Hey friend, this will show you how you can know that you're going to heaven when you die. And he kind of took it with a bit of hesitance and reticence. And I said, "Uh, do you believe that you can know for sure that you're going to heaven when you die? And this was his response. No. And I said, well, sir, if it was up to what you did and up to what I did and up to what we didn't do, I would agree with you. I said, but it's not. I said, whether or not we can know for sure we're going to heaven is based upon what Jesus did on the cross and what he did when he shed his blood and what he did when he rose again from the grave. And I said, based upon the authority of the word of God, sir, I can say with absolute certainty, you can know for sure you're going to heaven when you die. Now, I want us to see this from the Bible. Look at the Bible, Job 19 and verse 25. Look at it. Notice what the Bible says. It says, for I know. Wait, what? Right there, three words. We haven't even finished the phrase, much less the verse. We're we're already right in the midst of certainty. Now, that's a good place to breathe a fresh breath of air. Wow. (laughs) I know. It says, for I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand in the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, watch it, yet in my flesh shall I see God. Did you see that? He says, I know. I know. Do you know, Job 
is the oldest book in the Bible. You do understand that Genesis through Revelation is not necessarily in always in chronological order. And we believe Job is the oldest book in the Bible. And Job is the place that I go when people ask me this question. Preacher, preacher, I got a question for you. What about the person in the deepest, darkest jungle of wherever that has never had a Bible and never had a missionary and never had a church and never had a preacher? Is God still going to hold them responsible and hold them accountable on judgment day? Are they they still going to die and go to hell? And the answer is yes. God is still going to hold them responsible and still hold them accountable. And if they don't trust Jesus Christ as their Savior, yes, that's exactly what will happen. He said, why? That doesn't seem so fair. Well, I take him right to Job. You know why? Job didn't have a Bible. Job didn't have a missionary. Job didn't have a church or a preacher. But Job knew that he was a sinner. And Job knew that he needed a savior. And Job knew that Jesus was his savior. He looked ahead. We looked, we looked behind. But, but he knew that he needed a redeemer. And he cried out to that redeemer. And the redeemer, the Lord, saved him. Now, I want you to understand, Job didn't have all the things that we say we think we have to have in order to be accountable, but he had creation. God gave him creation. He had a conscience. God gave him a conscience. He had uh, God's grace or God's charity, uh, the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. And he had the message of salvation and the light that he obeyed increased light in his life. And Job knew some things. Do you look at it? Look at it. Verse number 25 again. Job said, for I know. Not I hope, or I wish, or I think, or I'm trying, or I'm postulating, or I'm philosophizing. No, he said, I know, I know, I know that my Redeemer liveth. Let's just see what Job knew. Job said, I know that my Redeemer liveth. I want you to notice, he knew that he was a sinner. And if you're honest, you can say the same thing. I know that I'm a sinner. Not a a little sinner, but a guilty sinner. Not a sometimes sinner, but a guilty sinner. I know that I'm a guilty sinner. Job knew that. He knew that he was a slave to sin. And he needed a redeemer. Job says, I know that I'm a sinner. Do you know that you're a sinner? Have you ever come before a holy God and acknowledged I'm a guilty sinner? Nobody's going to plead not guilty at that judgment bar. Nobody's going to enter the not guilty plea through a crooked lawyer and a paid off judge. It didn't work that way come justice day. And the Bible's clear that Job says, I know that I'm a guilty sinner. I know that I'm a guilty sinner bound by sin. He was a slave to sin. That's important. That's an important step before you can ever get to heaven. Do you know who's going to be in heaven besides God and angels? Sinners who've been washed in the blood of the lamb. Sinners who've acknowledged their need for Jesus. Sinners who've cried out to the Lord to be their redeemer and their savior. And the Bible says that Job says, I know, I know that my redeemer liveth. So what does he know? He knew that he was a slave to sin. What else does he know? What else does he know? He knows that he needs a redeemer. He needs a redeemer. Why? Because he's enslaved to sin. Now, when we speak of the word redemption today, we're usually referring to coupons or some website or some app that you can get that you can redeem 50 different coupons, 15 different ways. And there are some ladies that when the store sees them coming, boy, they wish they weren't coming. And when they see them going, they say, oh, man, they sure got us for a lot of money. We need to erase that uh, computer app or we need to get uh, we need at least limit who goes on that computer app, especially that lady. Put her on the bad list. I mean, she's costing this store money, but we're not talking about redeeming coupons here. We are talking about buying back, watch this, out of the slave market of sin. 
Now, slavery still is alive and well all across the world, and it's not a good trade. It's a bad trade, and it's a wicked, dark, dirty market. But the fact is, is that slavery was around in Job's day. And Job said, I know that I am a slave to sin, and because I'm a slave to sin, I need a redeemer. Job said, I need a redeemer. Do you, have you ever called upon the Lord and said, I need a redeemer? Will you be my redeemer? Have you ever asked the Lord to save you, not from your trouble or your difficulty or your financial problem or your physical ailment, but from your sin? Lord, save me from my sin. I'm lost. It's pushing me to hell. I'm undone. I'm in need of a savior. He knew that he was a slave to sin and he knew that he needed a redeemer, someone that would buy him out of the slave market of sin. Long time ago, the I stood on the auction block of sin and somebody in the back raised their ring studded fingers and said, I want to bid wealth and fame for that man. And somebody raised their hand and said, I want to bid popularity for that man. And someone yet said, I want to bid intellect for that man. And someone said, I want to bid pleasure for that man. And then one in the back stood and raised his hand. And I noticed something different about his hand. It had nail prints in his hand. He said, I bid my precious blood that I shed on the cross of Calvary. And he bought me out of the slave market of sin. If you're saved tonight, he bought you out of the slave market of sin. I know that I am a slave to sin, Job said. I know that my, I need a redeemer, someone to buy me out of the slave market of sin. But look what else he knew. Look at it, verse 25. He said, I know that my redeemer liveth. He knew that his redeemer was alive. You say, wait a second. If Job was the first book written in the Bible, this was long before Jesus was alive. Time out. There's no such thing as a time before Jesus was alive. Now, there is such a thing as a time before Jesus walked on this earth. There is a time before Jesus was incarnated. There is a time before Jesus came and walked among men, God with us, Emmanuel. But there's no such thing as a time before Jesus was alive. He said, before Abraham was, I am from everlasting to everlasting. Thou art God. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus Christ is his Redeemer. And he says, I know that my Redeemer liveth. In other words, he knew that he was a slave to sin, that he needed a redeemer, and he knew that, he, that his redeemer was alive. Wow, what a God. What a Savior to give this certainty in the heart of Job. But look what else he said. I know that my redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand in the latter day upon the earth. Now, you know what I would do if I were you? Right next to verse number 25, I would write 2022 and beyond. Because there is a prophecy that is 2022 and beyond. 2022 is almost over. But this is talking about a time when Jesus Christ, the Redeemer, would stand in the latter day upon the earth. He's talking about a time when Jesus Christ would come and be on this earth during the incarnation. But there is also a time when Jesus will come and he will stand on this earth when he splits the Mount of Olives wide open and walks through the eastern gate in Jerusalem and sets up his 1,000 year reign in this world. Wow, that's going to be a wonderful time. He says, I know that I'm a slave to sin. I know that I need a redeemer, someone to buy me out of the slave market of sin. I know that my redeemer is alive and I know that someday my redeemer is going to stand on this earth. Sound like Job had been to Bible college. Sound like Job had some theological training. Sound like Job, even though he didn't have a church or a missionary or a Bible, seemed to know the Lord. Verse number 26, it says, and though after my skin worms destroy this body. You know what else Job knew? Watch me now. Job knew that he was going to die. 
Now, that's a good thing for us to realize. I mentioned this this morning, but I want to say it again tonight. The moment you're born, you're born dying. The moment you're born, you're headed to the grave. Now, I hate to be the bearer of bad tidings, but that's just a fact. And we do everything we can to push away from the precipice of death. We want to make it look like we're not dying. So ladies have all kinds of creams that they can put on their face and their body. We want to make it, we want to make it uh, sound like we're not dying. So uh, we, we want to make it smell like we're not dying. So we put all good ointment and, and uh, sweet perfumes and God bless all of that. Uh, we want to make us feel like we're not dying. So we do some exercises. But guess what? We're dying. We're dying. And Job knew someday he'd die. In the book of Ecclesiastes, the wise man said, it's good for you to think about death. In fact, it's better for you to think about death than it is for you to laugh and to, to have revelry. Why? Because it helps you get perspective. Someday you're going to die. There may be some people before the end of 2022 sitting here amongst us right now that'll be in eternity. Just this last week, a friend that I know has passed into eternity. Just Saturday, a preacher that I know went into eternity. Just this morning, I received news that a friend who's been struggling with cancer in Rhode Island is now in the glory and walking on streets of gold and her body is completely whole. Someday you're going to die. Job knew that. I'll tell you, Job felt like it. Job had boils all over his body. Job had just buried his children. Job was there. He knew he was going to die. Look at verse number 26. Look at it. Though, look at the vivid picture. After my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. Now, how's that possible? Some scientists come and tell me how that's possible. Some medical professional from the health and human services come and tell me how that's possible. Some Dr. Fauci from the CDC come and tell me how that's possible. He's not going to be able to do it. And no scientist is going to be able to do that. You know what that's called? That's called the resurrection. So you know what he's saying? Someday I'm going to live again. Someday after they've, they've closed my eyes in death and someday after I've been put six feet under and someday after the skin worms and the maggots come and eat through the casket and eat away my body, yet someday in my flesh, I'll see God. He didn't say in my spirit. He said, yet in my flesh shall I see God. You know what Job was saying? I know that I know that I know that I'm going to heaven. You can too. That's what he's saying. Simply put, he's saying, I know that I'm a sinner, a slave to sin. I know that I, ha I, I need a redeemer to buy me out of the slave market of sin. I know that my redeemer is alive. I know that he'll stand in the latter day upon the earth talking about the first advent and the second advent. And I know that I am going to die. And I know that someday, even though I'm going to die and my body's going to decay, I'm going to someday stand and see the Lord. I know that I know that I know that I'm going to heaven. Now, I want you to think about the context. Job was the point of discussion one day between the Lord and Satan. And the Lord said, have you considered my servant Job? He's a man that eschews evil and fears God. And Satan said, oh, he only does that because you blessed him. Take away all his blessing. We'll see. And the Lord gave him Satan's permi Satan permission and Satan slithered out of his presence and came down like a whirlwind and smote Job's possessions. And in one day he lost all his assets. But you know, that wasn't the worst part of it. In that same day, Job lost all his children. They died. Somebody had to carry that news to Job. Can you imagine how difficult a piece of news that was? Can you imagine the horror and the terror 
I wonder what was going through Job's mind as he tore his clothes and as he put dust and ashes on his head and as he reeled from side to side in pain and anguish. I can't imagine what Job's wife was going through as she realized all her precious children and all the memories and all of that was gone. It was over. I can't imagine what it was like for Job to bury his children. I stood at a casket, a funeral one day, of my cousin and her husband and two of their three children that died. It was a four casket funeral, a four hearse funeral procession, a four hole in the ground gravesite burial. I hope you don't have to ever go through that. Job had more than that. And then Satan and the Lord had another conversation and the Lord said, have you considered my servant Job? Righteous, just, fears God, hates evil. Satan said, oh, he just does that because you've given him good health. Take away his health and he'll curse you. And the Lord said, you can do that, but you can't take his life. Satan slithered out of the presence of the Lord and he went down. And he smote Job from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet with boils. How many of you here have ever had a boil? Can I see your hand? Not pleasant. We had some boils in our family this, this uh, summer. It was not pleasant. Pleasant. I have a boil or a scar from a boil on my right pinky that I had when I was a child. It was not pleasant. I still remember the pain. And I was seven or eight. He had them all over his body. And the only friends that he had at the moment were a few broken pieces of pottery and potsherd where he could scrape his boils just to get a little relief from the pain. He had a few friends that gathered around and they were pretty good friends for about eight days until they opened their mouth. And then it had all kinds of theological conclusions and considerations and postulations that weren't always accurate. And Job had to defend himself throughout the book of Job. And he's in one of those positions defending himself. Job could very easily have said this. I don't know about anything anymore. I thought I knew. I don't know about anything anymore. I give up. I quit. I don't know about whether or not God's good. I don't know about whether or not God loves me. I don't know about whether or not uh, my Redeemer is going to stand on this earth. I don't know. I don't know about anything. Everything I thought I knew, I don't know. But no, in the midst of great pain and Suffering that no one in this room has even come close to enduring. Job said, I know that I know that I know that I'm on my way to heaven and you can too. Take your Bible and quickly turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1. Quickly, 2 Timothy chapter 1 over there in the New Testament turning right through the Bible. You'll come close to the end of the Bible and you'll find 2 Timothy chapter 1. Quickly find it. Notice what the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul Writing under inspiration here, says in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 11, whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. Well, I love it when Paul with great courage and great confidence declares what God has called him to be. Thank God for it. For the which cause I also suffer these things, for the fact that he's been appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know, wait, what, what, wait, who, 
Where? What did he say? He said, for I know. Paul the apostle, yes. He said, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Wow. What confidence. Wow, what certainty. Mm -hmm. What courage. Yes, Paul has it. You know what Paul was saying? I know that I know that I know that I'm on my way to heaven and you can too. Now, if you're here tonight and you've never heard a preacher say that they know they're going to heaven and that you can too, then you're hearing it tonight. If you're here tonight, you've never heard that you can know that you're going to heaven. You're hearing it tonight. If you're here tonight, you, you didn't know that you could know. You know now from the Bible at least two passages of Scripture, and there are dozens more that state unequivocally, clearly, without, without equivocation, that you can know that you know that you know that you're on your way to heaven. Not hope or wish or think. And by the way, this knowledge isn't based on your goodness. It's not based on your church affiliation. It's not based on your church membership or your baptism or being sprinkled or dunked or poured on. It's not based upon whether you've taken some holy pilgrimage to some holy city. It's not based upon whether or not your mama was a preacher or your daddy was a preacher or your grandma was a preacher. Anybody else was a preacher in your family. It's not based on any of that. It's based on whether or not you've trusted Jesus Christ as your savior. It's based on what you've done with Jesus. It's based on what you've done with the message of the gospel. It's based on whether you've received him or not. If you've received him as your savior by faith, you can know that you're going to heaven. Now, wow, this is powerful. This is good. This is rich. Look at what it says. Second Timothy one and verse 12. He says, I'm appointed a preacher and apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. Verse 12, for the which cause I also suffer these things. In other words, Paul says, I'm in prison right now. About two Thursdays ago, I'll make sure I get it right. Yeah, about two Thursdays ago, I was in Rome, Italy. And I stood right there at the Mamertine prison where Paul, under inspiration, wrote these words. In prison. His ministry has come to a nearly to an end. He's been chained to a guard and witness to his captors. He's awaiting trial. The trial's not going to go so well, and eventually he's going to have his head lopped off on the Appian Way just south of Rome. And I stood right there in the Mamertine prison where Paul wrote these words. And what does he say? With great certainty, for the which cause I also suffer these things. This is why I'm here, Timothy, because I'm an apostle and a preacher and a teacher of the Gentiles. He said, that's why I'm suffering. But look at what he says in verse number 12. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. Wow. That's amazing. He says, I'm not ashamed. Do you know in another place he said to the Christians, be not ashamed of my bonds. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I'm not ashamed that I'm a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. And if I'm not ashamed, you shouldn't be ashamed. By the way, the world is always trying to make us ashamed, aren't they? That's how the devil works, through false guilt and through false shame. Let me just pause and say, you better beware and have your antenna up about false guilt and false shame. Let me ask it this way. If I were to come to you and say, um, hey, I've got a truck payment for my truck out there. It's a, a Dodge Ram 3500. If you wouldn't mind, would you pay my truck payment this month? Now, would that be right or wrong for me to do such a thing to you? Would that be right or wrong? Uh, mixed feelings, right? Every time I ask that question, people say, well, maybe. 
You know, it might be right, it might be wrong. Would it be right or wrong for you to say, you know, Brother Dwight, you're looking kind of hard up on your luck, you know? And uh, yeah, I think I'll take this payment for you this month. I'll, I'll be glad to do that. Would it be right or wrong for you to do that? Uh, mixed feelings. I mean, I personally right now, I'm kind of feeling like it'd be right. But yeah, it's mixed feelings. You know, would it be right or would it be wrong? Well, you know, I don't know. It might be right. It might be wrong. I don't really know. But what if I said, all right, thanks for doing that. Now it'll come out at the 15th of every month if you just take on the payment. Now, would that be right or wrong for me to do that? That would be wrong. No question about it. You don't have any doubt now. What, what would it be right or wrong for you to feel like you had to do it? Right or wrong? Wrong, absolutely wrong. That would be what we would call false guilt. And the devil's always trying to put false guilt on you. All the time. And by the way, the, those who are aiding and abetting the devil are glad to help put false guilt on you. You have to be guilty because you're a Christian. And you have to feel guilty because you're trying to raise your family with a mom and a dad, husband and wife, and children... And raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And you should feel guilty because you go to church three times a week. And you should feel guilty because you carry your Bible. And you read your Bible. And you have to believe that stuff. You actually believe that stuff. I mean, really. And you should feel guilty because you don't swear and you don't curse. And you should feel guilty because you don't go dancing. And you don't go gambling. And, and you don't go running around. You should feel guilty because you're not immoral like everybody else in society. And you should feel guilty because you, you, you hate the LGBTQ. Although you don't. But that's what they'd like to put on you. And they'd like to put false guilt on you. You should be guilty because you're not for baby murder. And you should feel guilty because you're a conservative Christian. You should feel guilty for this and you should feel guilty for that. Excuse me, I don't feel guilty for any of it. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. You should feel guilty because you believe on Jesus Christ. We should feel guilty about that. I, I am. I, I'll claim I'm guilty of believing on Jesus Christ. And I'm not ashamed of believing on Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you something else. The people that are going to be ashamed at Judgment Day are the people that didn't believe on Jesus Christ. Paul says, I'm not ashamed. Then he said, I'm not ashamed. He says, here's why. For I know. I know whom I believed. I believed on Jesus. I know him personally. I talk to him daily. He's good to me. He's, he tells me that, and walks with me and talks with me and tells me where I should go and how I should live and tells me that he loves me. I, I love Jesus. I'm not ashamed of knowing Jesus and I'm not ashamed of walking with Jesus and I'm not ashamed of trying to order my life by his words. I'm not ashamed. He says, for I know whom I have believed. I believed on him and I'm not ashamed of that. I found the book and Jesus is the author of it and now he's my fa father and not my friend and now he's my brother and I love him and I'm not ashamed of that. I know whom I have believed and watch, if it weren't enough that he says I'm not ashamed and that he says I know whom I have believed, he says I'm persuaded. Well, he's got three words of absolute certainty in this. I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. In other words, I've read the last chapter and he wins and all the rest of them lose. So this is what I say to all those that want to press their wicked agenda and their godless agenda. And by the way, let me just pause and say, you follow the money trail and that's where you'll find the poison. Every time, in every election, you follow the money trail. It was perplexing to me until just about a week ago why all this transgender is being pressed on us and forced down our throat and we're supposed to accept it and if we don't, there's something wrong with us. And I, I'm, I'm like, well, how did this happen? I mean, a few years ago, it was the homosexual agenda. Well, somebody brought it to my mind that the homosexual lobby and the transgender lobby is one of the most powerful lobbies in the country. 
millions and billions of dollars are funding that on a regular basis. Well, in 2015, when the Supreme Court legitimized them and validated them and said they are okay and they sanctioned them, they got what they wanted. Now they're not the victim. So you know what happened? The money dried up. And so then all of a sudden there's this strange, curious turn to the left. When I was growing up, we were trying to keep the boys from touching the girls. Now boys want to be girls. Crazy mixed up world. Mixed up world. And do you know where it comes from? Follow the money. And you'll find all the corruption that you need to know. And by the way, it is corrupt. That whole agenda is corrupt. It's of the devil. It's straight from hell. And it will ruin our culture and rot gut our culture from the inside out. Doesn't matter who's for it. Doesn't matter if the whole world's for it. David said, I, though ten thousands of people have set themselves against me, I will not be afraid. And God give us some Christians who will say, I'm not afraid. I'm not ashamed. I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded. You know what Paul was saying? I know that I know that I know that I'm going to heaven. Now, what the, what's the context of this? The context of 2 Timothy 1 is the Mamertine prison. You say, what, what is that like? Well, on the outside, it's nice. It's a beautiful building. I can show you a picture afterward with a great big door and in Latin over top, it says Mamertinum, and it has that, that Paul was a prisoner there. But you know what it's like on the inside? Let me describe it to you. If you go out here to one of these city streets and take a manhole open it up and set it to the side and climb down in and light a candle and sit down and write a letter that's what it's like and that's where Paul was chained and that's where he lived and that's where he slept and that's where he wrote 2 Timothy wow you know what this is certainty in the midst of uncertainty you know what Paul was saying? I know that I know that I know that I'm on my way to heaven. And you can too. Turn to one final passage, 1 John. 1 John, go to your right, almost to the book of Revelation, and you'll find 1 John. Chapter 5. We started here this morning with the men's prayer meeting. 1 John 5. 1 John 5 and verse 9. It says, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. And he that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. What a wonderful passage. I heard of a preacher that was trying to witness to a lawyer or a doctor, and he tried every which way to witness to him, couldn't quite get through, and and one day he went and made a special visit and he sat down in his living room. They talked small talk for a little bit. And the preacher said, you know, John, I just am burdened for your soul. And I'm burdened that if you die, you go to hell because you've never received Jesus Christ as your savior. And I just don't want you to die and go to hell. And the, the man stood up indignant and he said, I don't want to hear this. He said, we've talked about this before. And he said, I'm not interested in hearing this. If that's all you want to talk about, let me take you to the door. And the preacher said, well, I'm just trying to help you, John. I don't want to see you die and go to hell. He said, well, I've heard this before, and I'm tired of hearing it over and over and over again. The preacher sadly stood up, and he said, well, John, he said, just before I go, I want to say one thing. He said, all right. The preacher looked at him and said, he that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. He walked to the door. And he turned with his hand on the doorknob and he said, and another thing. 
He looked him right in the eye and he said, He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. And by this time, John was a little irritated and he said, well, thank you. He said, you said that before. He said, I hope you have a good day. And he reached for the door and he pulled it open and the preacher stepped one foot out and kept one foot in. And he said, but there's one thing more. He said, what is it? He looked at him and said, he that hath the son hath life. And he that hath not the son of God hath not life. He said, all right, now you've said it three times. The preacher said, Thank you for your time. He stepped out the door and grabbed the door handle so that John couldn't shut it. He said, but there's something else. He said, what is it? He that hath the son hath life and he that hath not the son of God hath not life. And the man said, thank you. You've said it four times now. And he slammed the door. The preacher got down to the end of the driveway and he thought, boy, I've blown it. He said, oh, we're supposed to leave the convert. If he doesn't get saved, always oh, supposed to leave him for the next person to lead him to the Lord. He said, I've blown it. He got up to preach the next Sunday and when he got up to preach, John was in the back and he was the first one down the aisle during the invitation. He said, all week long, he said, I've heard, he that hath the Son hath life, he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. He said, I don't have the Son and I don't have life and I need the Son so that I can have life. Look at verse 13. He says in 1 John 5 and verse 13, these things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that ye may know. That ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. What? Three times in just a few short moments that God's given us together tonight, these men of the Bible, men of character, men of salt, men who've been saved themselves, men who walk with God, said, I know that I know that I know that I'm going to heaven. And here John says it. John says, I know that I know that I know that I'm going to heaven when I die. I'm not wishing or hoping or trying or attempting or achieving. I know that I'm going to heaven. I have that certainty within my soul. How does he know it? Well, he says, these things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God. In other words, he's writing to believers. He's saying that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe in the name of the Son of God. Just in case you were doubting and just in case you were wondering and just in case you were unsure and just in case the devil was perched on your shoulder trying to tell you it just can't be so. You can know that you know that you know that you're on your way to heaven. Wow, thank God for that. Thank God for this conviction. Thank God for this certainty. Thank God for this absolute truth. Someone says there's no such thing as absolute truth. Well, you know, that's it. An absolute statement <laughs> that's absolutely false <laughs> yes you can know for sure you're on your way to heaven and you can know that your sins are forgiven and you can rest your head on your pillow at night that Jesus is your Savior and heaven is your home you can know that you don't have to wonder and doubt and weave your way and wander your way through life kind of hoping and thinking you don't have to listen to some some false teacher some false preacher telling you you can't know unless you do this or don't do that no if you'll come to Jesus and admit you're a slave to sin and call upon him and believe that he died and rose again you have that assurance you have the son and if you have the son of God you have life and what's the context of 1 John chapter 5 well John was writing to combat primarily the idea of what we call Gnosticism. Now it's trying to make a resurgence today, bless their heart, that you can't really know anything. What a foolish notion. I guarantee it's not the Gnostics that go build hospitals. It's not the Gnostics that go build schools. 
It's not the Gnostics that go do civil service and good deeds and help great things be accomplished in a society. It's not the Gnostics that build adoption uh, agencies and build, build orphanages. It's not the Gnostics that go help bring people to the, help food, bring food to the hungry. It's not the Gnostics that do the most important work of giving the gospel and starting churches and spreading the life-giving message. It's not the Gnostics, but it is people who know that they know that they know that they're going to heaven. Amen. Now, if you know that, you ought to be telling everybody about it. In the midst of this context of you can't really know anything for sure, John said, oh yeah? I do. I know that I know that I know that I'm on my way to heaven. And you can too. Would you bow with me in prayer? Your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. I want to ask you with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you said, preacher, I'm saved on my way to heaven when I die. But you'd say, preacher, God's burdened my heart tonight to be a bold witness throughout the rest of the month of December. And I'd like to begin praying that God would use me somehow to lead someone to Jesus in the next few weeks, the remaining weeks of this year. If that's you and you said, preacher, God has given me the truth and the certainty of the gospel. I know that I'm saved, but you'd say, preacher, I'm burdened to get someone saved. Would you pray that God would use me to lead someone to Jesus in the next three weeks? If that's you, would you slip up your hand? Wonderful. Oh, Lord, bless these with hands raised and hearts open to you. Heads bowed, eyes closed. I want to ask how many of you would say, Preacher, there's some things that I'm not sure of, but there's one thing I know. I can agree with John and Paul and Job. I know that I'm going to heaven. There's been a time and a place when I've accepted God's gift of eternal life. Now, if you don't know that, don't raise your hand. But if you're sure that you're going to heaven when you die. Now watch, I'm not asking if you want to go to heaven. I'm not asking if you think you're going or you hope you're going. I'm asking, can you tell me of a time when you called upon Christ and you received his gift of eternal life? If you don't know that, don't raise your hand. But if you do, would you slip your hand up high as a testimony of that fact? I know it, preacher, I know it. Thank you, man, put your hands down. Is there anyone here tonight that would say, preacher, I don't know that. I wish I did. I really want to. Would you pray that I would get that settled? Yes, I will. If that's you, would you slip up your hand? Is there anybody here like that? Preacher, pray for me. I don't know that I'm going to heaven when I die, but I need to know, and I sure want to know. Anyone at all? All right, let's stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I'd like us to sing Blessed Assurance. Jesus is mine if we can. And as Brother Luigi prepares, would you bow with me in prayer? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the certainty of your word. Thank you that in the midst of darkness and confusion and uncertainty, we can know some things. We can know them as sure as we know our name and our address. And we can know them even if we forget our name and forget our address. We can know that we have life because we have the Son. Thank you for this, Lord. I pray that there would be many, many people that would come to Christ as a result of Christians who have consecrated themselves anew tonight to taking this message of certainty to this lost world. In Jesus' name, heads are bowed, eyes are closed.